0: What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome. We are here to talk to you on this beautiful, romantic Valentine's Day about our very romantic film, It's True Romance. You've been waiting for years for it. That's like what we say every single time now. We do a new movie. You've been waiting for years for it because we've been doing the show for years. We're here to talk to you guys about True Romance. We'll see you in one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Yes! Ha ha! Ha ha ha. You're like vibing out and also doing your prep work at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) We are welcome! Hello, future Action Army. Hello, Action Army. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Um, yeah, happy Valentine's Day to you. Uh, (laughs) I'm lonely and single, (laughs) if there's anyone out there Uh, that wants to be my date, uh, Slide into his DMs. Slide into my DMs on Instagram, Twitter. You can find me at Andrew Guy. You can find <laughs> just me just at Ben know. Bateman Media, Twitter and Instagram. We're here. We're talking True Romance. Uh, it's been a, a whirlwind a few weeks, and so uh, we're technically living in the past right now. Scheduling got a little mixed up, and we had to uh, figure out a way to, to tape some pre-tape episodes, which mm. is never as fun for you guys because you don't get to be in the live chat. And there does i mean, there is a live chat. We just don't get to interact in a live chat with you. That's the difference. Yeah, I do miss that, and uh, hopefully. Hopefully, if our schedules permit, I might be able to, I don't know if you will, I know you're going to be very, very busy um, over the next week, but maybe I'll be able to hop in the chat on Wednesday, tomorrow, and uh, and say hi to you guys, because this is a cool episode. This is a really cool episode it's for a me. a great movie. This is a first time for me, and it's a big one. Yeah, true romance. This is, people love this movie. It's like one of those, that's one of those movies that uh, it is a little bit representative of like another generation, which I think is really interesting and something that I want to talk about a little bit today. Um this sort of idea like we're 29 years old and so we have the movies we grew up with and what was really cool when we were growing up and the, the but like if you're 45 this movie was cool when you were growing up yeah. so like when we you know this movie came out in 93 so like for us the years that we really remember like being teenagers into like high school and early college where we like really loved movies and paid a lot of attention you know that was all happening in like 2006 547 mm-hmm. This movie's like a full 12 to 15 years before that yeah I'd say the movies that we ended up catching on the back end or, or were on the back end of the 90s the 98s the 99s we were uh, like little kids uh, we were, for that. yeah but the like the big ones like you know gladiator coming out in 2000 was one of the ones that was like oh so that that's like the beginning for me Yeah, we're and, 12 at that point right yeah and uh uh Air Force one was 95 98 97, 97. Yeah. okay yeah so that was one of my that was my first R-rated movie I watched with my mom. But so I guess my point is, like, when I say the different generations of movies, I think it's not about necessarily the movies being good, it's about the whole idea of being cool. Like, this movie, when it came out, when Pulp Fiction came out, this era of movies, this was the coolest thing you could be doing. Yeah. There was nothing cooler than this. And it embodies, you know, Hollywood in the, I guess, late 80s, early 90s, you know. it, It just feels very much like a time period... And it is cool. It still is cool. Like I guess, I guess, like equivalent types of filmmakers and movies would have been like when the Royal Tenenbaums came out. That's yeah. like a good example of like the cool movie of when we were growing up. That mm-hmm. all the kids our age were like, oh, that movie's so like smart and funny and like you know, it was like hipster. Yeah. Like if you were a hipster, you loved True Romance. If you were a hipster, you loved Wes Anderson, and mm-hmm. you, like that's the kind of movies people like. Who is it so- now? Is it still yeah, like Anderson? Anderson? <laughs> I mean, maybe it's I maybe, mean, maybe it's like Denis Villeneuve or something, because Denis, like yeah. he's making like Arrival, and he's making Sicario, he's making movies that people think are really cool. I don't know, it's a different time, but that's one of the interesting things about this movie, is that it really does exist in sort of a moment in time, so we'll get all into that. Uh, this is Action Movie Anatomy, guys, on the Popcorn Talk Network. We talk action movies on this show, here on the network that talks movies, pop culture, and doing it by the bucketful. The movies we talk about adhere to four basic rules. Number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Um I mean Christian Slater just goes out and murders someone and then re- robs him and then runs I mean he pretty much plays by the He own does roles. man and he like takes care of business he's not really scared of anybody No and walking uh oh, the next the, the uh the next rule number, rule number 2 is the hero and the villain are always the smartest people villains creatures animals Whatever's, things yeah. in the room it's always tough in movies like this where you have someone that's kind of just led by a, an emotion. Yeah, like right. Like a passion. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't always mean they're the smartest. They kind of do dumb shit along the way. Yeah, Slater does a lot of really dumb stuff. His decision in the first place was pretty dumb. Like, yeah. Like, it's not... He's, he's clever, he's clever, you know, he sets up this, uh, when he gets on the phone uh, with Lee Donowitz and he's having the whole conversation yeah. about uh, wanting to open, what is he, The Great Ziegfeld? Is the uh, no, it's... uh, uh indem- Dr. Zhivago. Dr. Zhivago, is. yeah. Yeah, yeah, he wants to go uh, open Dr. Zhivago and he's having, the, you know, that whole conversation. Uh, so he's pretty smart there, but you know, he's definitely pretty dumb uh, for... Leaving his ID in uh, dead man's hand, yeah. walking the laugh, so... Exactly. Not the smartest guy. Nope. Um, rule number three The movie is driven by Police, military, political Mercenary figure He works at a comic book store Yeah, not at all No, not at all And uh, rule number four The movie contains A minimum of one explosion I don't think there's An explosion in this movie There's an explosion of cocaine A lot of cocaine There's an explosion yeah. of cocaine I laughed out loud When he got pulled over Yeah, And yeah, yeah, it blew yeah, yeah. up in his face <laughs> Like that's an explosion for me. That was great. That's a good moment. That's a good moment. So yeah, this movie uh, naturally doesn't really hit a lot of the uh, a lot of the rules, but that we kind of knew that. And yeah. as we go with the show more and more, I think these rules do a little bit adhere to an uh, 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 an older model an older or like model. a specific model, an older time. Yeah, when we were a little more specific with the movies we chose for the show because. And we covered a lot of those movies, and so now we wanted to be, kind of be able to expand in other movies people love. So that's why we are uh, covering this. So coming up today on the show, we're gonna be doing all of your fun favorite games you guys love, like fist bump moment, favorite line. We've also got uh, top five Gary Oldman roles. Oh, Drexel, I can't wait, uh, it's a hard one. And then we're also gonna rank the cameos. This movie has such a crazy huge cast that uh, we're gonna be doing a ranking of who we think the best cameos are in the in the best order. Um, but uh, without further ado, I say we get into the trailer for this film before we watch the uh, you know or talk about the thesis statement. I'm all over the place today. No, it still doesn't matter. It's perfect. From the we don't have to deal with a live Tom audience Ryan giving and a shit. Beverly Hills Cop too. <laughs> love you, Action Army. And Beverly Hills Cop 2. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Hey, I'm a married man, buddy. <laughs> a con man. I love the score the for, for this movie. Right? Yeah, it's what so letter? fun. Doesn't Zimmer do some <laughs> of it? All I'm of it. Yeah, all of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's an old throwback to oh, a, a movie called girl. Badlands from the 70s. Yeah. Same with the... Narration, yeah, is a throwback to Sister She seems very nice. I can't remember What that. are you doing in LA anyway, huh? And this remedies, same, same one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is Vincent Cocardi. I work this concert for Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and, your son and stole their wildest him. dreams. Find out who this swinging a prayer artist is and take him off of the neck. Are 60 cops. <laughs> 40 agents. He's a wild man is kid Clarence, I like him. 30 mobsters. I have been killing by 30 mobsters. Since 1984. And a few thousand <laughs> bullets. We're all gonna die here, these are cops! The fact that Sizemore just kills him for throwing coffee yeah, on yeah, the guy yeah, is yeah. amazing. I definitely don't think they should have shown Slater, that all three parties Patricia meet in that Arquette, hotel room in the trailer. Hopper, yeah, definitely not. Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think what, you what a peculiar movie, man. Yeah, it's such a strange movie. Like it. Not since it's, it's, and it, even the marketing—you can tell—it's kind of uh, doesn't really. You don't really know what to do. do not know which direction to go in. You don't really know what you're going to get. But it's also a true romance. It's a genre that didn't really exist yet. This became a genre for the next ten years. So I think this is probably a, a, a good place to jump into thesis statement because uh, it's I'll lead with mine. So mm-hmm. thesis statement is your it's your it's your boldest, biggest thought. It's the thing about the the movie that if the movie was to come up and you wanted to start a conversation with someone at a party, you'd you'd really stand on your soapbox and talk about this one thing. Yeah, if you only had one minute and thirty seconds to give your point, yeah, and you can only give one, this would be it. The boldest, strongest statement you have about the film, and, and I and I think both of ours are pretty damn bold. Yeah, yeah. so I'm gonna go ahead and say that. Um, This is the most indicative film of Quentin Tarantino as a filmmaker ever made, which is funny because Quentin Tarantino didn't make the movie. He just sold the script. Yeah. What's really interesting is when you first said that, I immediately countered with um, he didn't direct it and he didn't want to direct it. He lost interest for some reason. And that, for me, took away from it. But going and watching this um, for the first time last week, I did... Realized when watching it, I was like, this is, everything about this is so Tarantino. There's tension building, there's there's comedy, there's excessive use of the N-word, there is, uh, you know, drugs, there's a shootout, there's there's all these things. There's these monologues, there's these there's tension building scenes with two powerhouse actors. Yeah. And the more I thought about it, because I had the same thought until yeah. I realized he didn't direct it, I, I think I completely agree with you. It's like it's funny, the more you watch Tarantino's movies, um, the older he gets and the more movies he does, the more you sort of realize that the essence of Quentin Tarantino as a filmmaker, it all came from this genre. Because this is the first script he ever wrote uh, yeah. poured it over. He wrote a script called My Best Friend's Birthday, which uh, was like in the late 80s the, his first script he ever wrote. And that became the basis for most of this script. Now this script was 500 pages and half of it became Natural Born Killers and half of it became this movie. But just like the the super like film enthusiast, comic book nerd, main protagonist who kind of knows the most about movies. He knows everything. That's a very Tarantino trait. The fact that like it's everything about it is a little overly violent. There's so many characters. Every one of these characters seems to be like super quick witted and yeah. fast talking. The dialogue is so sharp. Um it's all kind of surreal and like a throwback to another era. It feels it's more Tarantino, honestly, than even Pulp Fiction, because Tarantino I usually find Pulp Fiction's, like, a great movie. It's, like, very self-contained, and it's it's really well done. And it it doesn't have some of those things in it that feel... Like, in Pulp Fiction, there's not just a weird scene where all the parties come together and there's a shootout. Now, there is kind of with them in the the store at the end, but it's not... You look at Inglorious Bastards. You look at uh, Django Unchained. You look at uh, Seven. What's the movie called Seven? Hateful Eight. Or Hateful Eight. Um, there's all that shootout with the parties. All they, they yeah. all have that, and you know. Yeah, he just he just. Um, I I think most of his movies aren't as good as Pulp Fiction. I think that that's like his best movie. Uh, just the fact that this movie is driven by the character, it's driven by, and the way that he talks. The fact that he works in a comic book store. Um, it's even set in Tarantino universe, even though Tarantino didn't direct it. Harvey Keitel in, True Roma, in uh, Reservoir Dogs makes a reference to a character named Alabama. Yeah. That's the character. That's her, yeah. Um, the, the, like there's, there are a couple different connections of the, the various characters. Lee Donowitz is another character that's referenced in another movie. Um, so it's just interesting stuff. I just I don't think that there's really a movie, even ones he directed, that are more representative of him. It just feels like he is Clarence. He wanted to be Clarence. That's the character he is. He's even gone on record as saying it's the most autobiographical uh, yeah. film he ever made. Yeah, absolutely. And Which is why it's so interesting to me that he decided to let Tony Scott direct it, or not even, not really let him, but option the script to be sold to have someone else direct it. It's very surprising, but um, <clears throat> he even said that Scott just did it basically perfectly, and the only thing that Scott did change was the ending. Yeah. And Tarantino actually liked it more, because people loved Clarence and Alabama so much. So uh, mine, my thesis is going to be a little more broad, Okay, and it is, and it is, and it is, you don't agree with me, I'm okay <laughs> with that. Uh, Other people don't agree with me. I'm also okay with that. I think that Gary Oldman is the greatest character actor of all time, period. And I think that the only thing that is stopping him from everyone thinking that is he's going to win for Darkest Hour, which is not one of those... It's not the same thing as Denzel winning and Leo winning, one for Revenant and one for Training Day. It's not just like an honorary Oscar. I've heard that Darkest Hour is one of the greatest performances ever. He disappears completely. He looks like a different human being. He changes his speech pattern, his posture, the way he walks, the way he does everything. Go back and look at this guy's career. He's played Dracula. He's played an evil Russian many times. He's played a psychopath in Leon. He's played uh, Drexel, which is like the dude is, I don't want to say he's black, but he's like, he basically comes off like, a black guy. I mean, he's written in the script as you are a white pimp that thinks he is a black guy. Exactly. That's what what it says in the script, like verbatim. And he's like a soft spoken British dude. Go watch Tinker, Taylor, soldier, spy, go watch him in any speech. And then you go and you look at him as, as fucking one of the greatest. And I know this is your favorite is Jim Gordon. Yeah. He's so good because that's finally, everyone's like, ah, you can see him be crazy. He's so good at being crazy. Well, what about him being just an everyday man that's out of his element always? And that's Jim Gordon. Totally agree. Uh, it's yeah, it's unbelievable. It, he's one of my favorite actors, one of the greatest actors of all time. The only reason I disagree with you is not because I I, I doubt his because you want to fight me, his prowess <laughs> as an actor. It's that I think it's hard to call him a character actor. Which, so which is I, a weird it's a weird distinction. And that's and so on the AMA question, which we're not really going to answer any of them because we're in the past and there wasn't our the future. Uh, I did see them though, and I saw that it's like he's played a lead so many times i mean all the all those roles you mentioned were like he played Dracula, he played Sid vicious, he played uh he played Stansfield, he played Zorg he yeah. played Drexel Spivy like these characters so so you go and you look at him movies were... Like Beethoven. Were, I mean, he was he's a true leading man. He actor. is. But are any of those leading men Gary Oldman playing a heightened version of himself? No. Just like Chris Pine, Kevin Costner, Brad Pitt, Leo even. Denzel for the most part. Denzel for the most part. Like The only other people that I think are in this contest are people like Daniel Day-Lewis and Philip Seymour Hoffman, but Daniel Day-Lewis would never take a secondary role in a movie. He is a true and only leading man. Whereas Drexel Spivy... Yeah, he's in the movie. He's for in the movie five for minutes. five minutes in in, in like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Like he is one of the lead characters, but it's a shared cast. And yeah. like, oh yeah, he's, and he's an ensemble guy. I mean, I I don't disagree with you. I don't Jim disagree Gordon. with you that much. He's yeah. I, I think it's a that's a bold distinction, and I will or or you can say that he's the greatest character lead actor ever. Yeah, or something like that. Or because something. All Who knows? of his leads. Are crazy characters. Yeah. You know, he's he's really a lot more like we thought Johnny Depp was. He's like yeah. he's a lot more like we thought Johnny Depp was ten years ago, and then the wheels started to come off. But yeah, he's he's managed to make an entire career out of the kind of roles you're talking about, and he's never really faltered. It's pretty, pretty freaking remarkable. So with that in mind, I say we let's discuss top five Gary Oldman roles. Um, I, I don't want to rank them because I think it's difficult, and I don't really want to do that. Mm-hmm. But I wrote down my five favorites. Okay, my five favorite Gary Oldman roles, and I do want to throw out an honorable mention to a film called State of Grace from 1990. That's an amazing movie. If and you I, guys haven't seen it, he's it was in his era. You were talking about when he was playing crazy, and everybody's like, "Yeah, this guy's so good at playing crazy." He's like this insane old buddy of Sean Penn's. I think he goes out in A Blaze of Glory. In the movie. Oh, it's been a while yeah, since I've yeah. seen it. He's freaking awesome, though. And I want to make a shout out to Tiptoes go watch the trailer tiptoes yeah go watch the trailer what is it it's like a yeah it's it's like a it looks like a spoof it looks like a a saturday night live movie made about a guy huh and he played it's just it's it's the one movie it's not out yet no it came out in like the 80s oh it's a joke tiptoes tiptoes like hilarious wow okay you've seen it marissa I have. It's it's really bad. <laughs> it's like it's so bad that it's good, right? Yes, it's so bad. Yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say it's a great movie because it's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh I actually did rank mine. Okay, okay. You so, know what? Then you, if you want to go first, yeah, I can so I'm I can rank gonna rank go. Mine. Uh my fifth, my number five, um, and I know I'm missing Beethoven and Dracula, there's so many I'm missing, yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm gonna go Zorg. Okay. I love Zorg. Uh I think what I love so much about this role. Is it so ridiculous? It's so over the top, and he he owns it like he does all of his roles. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he and he makes it legit. Uh, I'm going to go with my number five, and it's going to be Stansfield from Leon. Um, That's I. I think he's so incredible in that role. It's, it's a movie that I'm going to need to go back and watch again soon because I haven't seen it since high school, and not a lot of it has stuck with me. Uh-huh. I can think of scenes. I can remember him being crazy. He's the most memorable part of the movie to me. I love him in the movie. Um, maybe, he, maybe he rises higher on my list when I watch it again, yeah. but that's, that's my number five. I, I do love him in that movie. We'll okay. probably do that movie on here someday, I'll bet. I, I'm sure we will. Yeah. It's not really an action movie, but there's, there's enough. Um, number four is Drexel Spivy. It, okay, he's just for all the reasons I just said in my thesis. He's just perfect. Uh, my number four is going to be Darkest Hour. Winston Churchill. I still haven't seen it, which I'm sure he'd be in my top five. It's after amazing. Watching. He's yeah. he's the best part of the movie. He's the only thing in the movie that you're really watching. I mean, Ben Mendelsohn's really good, mm. um, and the whole movie's really good. But he's just he's just amazing. He just, he's, yeah, I heard it's just it's just magnetizing. Yeah, mesmerizing. It's it's, it's incredible. Uh, magnetic. Uh, yeah, Turn like, you into a magnet like in three words into one. Um, my number 3 is Jim Gordon. Okay. It's just I love watching him just be a normal guy who kind of loses it sometimes. Yeah. It's you know? great. Uh my number 3 is Drexel. Um okay. he's just great, man. The like there's so much about that role. He had his wig guy that had worked on Dracula make the Drexel wig for him. He took one of the the eyes that he wore as like as Dracula and used it as the character. Uh, he's gone on record as saying his two favorite characters he's ever played are Drexel and Lee Harvey Oswald and JFK. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, Drexel, like it's it's people talk about Drexel. He's like a character that gets referenced. It's not like we just love him. He's like one of the things in this movie that gets talked about the most. Yeah. It's basically, it, the Sicilian scene and this and, and Drexel. That, and, are and you the would two. think that Drexel, uh, not watching the movie, he was he'd be in it more. Yeah. Uh, in the trailers and based off of the advertising, but no. Uh, my number two. Ivan Kuroshnov. Yeah. I just... The uh, Air Force one, it's the also greatest... also my number two. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you plane or plane crash? <laughs> uh, yeah, one of my favorites. And my number one is Stansfield. Okay. It just... That crack in the pill and the neck and he's a psycho. He's a total psycho. He's a fucking terrifying psychopath, and yeah. he's totally believable. Scared the shit out of you as a kid, all that. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I love that you watched that movie as a little kid. <laughs> uh, my number one's Jim Gordon. Um, yeah, I knew it. I just... I, it's, I was looking at all the roles, and it's, like, the most subtle of all the roles. But it's the one, to me, that feels almost the most technically... It's, like, Drexel has probably... I, I shouldn't say the most anything, because each one of these, I can think of a real reason to describe why it's so great. But yeah. Jim Gordon through three movies is just, like, He's so calm and confident and endearing and, like, he's just this great cop and you just believe him so much as this character. Um, he never takes away from the films. He only adds to them. He he just, watching Gary Oldman play Jim Gordon for some reason, even though it's one of the biggest roles and biggest movies of all time, it's, like, humbling almost. Yeah. Because he just, he just does it. He, he never does anything more his only really big emotional scene is, is at the end of uh, Dark Knight with yeah, his kids with his kids and of course he crushes it yeah stop pointing that like, gun at my family gun <sighs> at my family yeah yeah he's so good he's and his great. accent his accent just disappearing picking him up he's yeah so those are our top five oldmen. let us know what your top five Oldmans are uh, in the chat below or on the Action Movie Anatomy fan page we have couple fan pages, by the way. We forgot oh, to yeah. mention those. we got the Action Movie Anatomy fan page. There are up to 1,200 members in there. Yeah. Um, we're also going to be doing the Action Movie uh, Fan Awards very soon. I think we've finally... Compiled the list. We've gotten all the numbers. We'll probably be covering them in the next couple Shout weeks. Out them out. Weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also the Action Army, which is a fan group created for our personas on the Movie Trivia showdown. Mm-hmm. And then last, we have a Patreon. Actually, yeah, we got another uh, general in it, Jason Haywood. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the Patreon, for those wondering, is uh, we are doing extra videos every single week. So with the time you watch this, there'll be a set of videos of us reacting to the newest, most exciting trailers that have just come out. Yeah. Mission Impossible Six is not there. 6. Uh, and also, you know, we have some we have some top five lists you guys sent in. That we're reviewing there as well so it's a patreon really to support us doing additional movie content for you guys patreon.com slash team action even five bucks a month you can send in your top five lists and and we'll review them on the on the show and talk about them so thanks everybody for that and uh, jason haywood for becoming a general in the action army we we salute you sir absolutely um so let's get into the next part of the show it's fist pump moment this is that moment in the movie something happens you look around you're like god this is so good are you seeing this right now this is amazing i get to watch the rest of this movie you call your buddy try to get him on the phone it's exciting um mine is a quiet moment it's yeah a quiet... yours is a, yours is a quiet moment so I'm gonna go with mine first because I, I really do like yours uh, so I had a couple like I always do I think I've said that a hundred times on this show but yeah, I just yeah. went f- with the one yep and it was my favorite line but I realized it, it's it's just not it's just the moment I, I like I, I rewound it because it was so awesome and it's when Slater comes back from killing Drexel and yeah. his guard he's messed up yeah he's beating up badly, badly. he's got the food you know and uh she's like what happened he's like, you know and he tells her and she's like that's that's so so yeah. you think she's gonna freak she goes romantic yeah. and just like a hug oh my god it's it's um she is so endearing and amazing and in yeah. that moment you're just like these are these two people are Perfect for each yeah. other. Yeah, you and uh, Miss Roxy Stryer watched the movie two nights ago. Yeah, we were watching. We had it. a moment, and I want you to tell me that we yeah. talked about it on the phone. Tell me about because that. Because when it first started, yeah, the movie started, and we were kind of like, she was like, "Do you think she's pretty?" I was like, "I mean, she's pretty." She's like, you know, she's not my style, really. I don't think she's like, you know, drop dead or anything like that. And she was like, "Yeah, she's really pretty." And ten minutes later, that scene had happened, and Roxy just looked over at me, and she's like, "She's totally won me over." She was totally. She was like, "She is so endearing. She's totally won me over," and. uh and I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. She's like, she's just great. She, I mean, she really, she really brings it in this role, and uh, it's just, yeah, she's just fantastic. I'm, am just a big fan. Yeah, she. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about Patricia Arquette. And Patricia Arquette is, is a very beautiful woman, um, yeah, gorgeous. But she's not one of those people. Like, for instance, Gal in, yeah, in, in right. right now, when you look at her, and you're just kind of like, yeah. you just can't not. But. What's so amazing, and like Drew Barrymore is, it has these qualities too, is there was something just so endearing about them yep. on screen where they were just – they're either so sweet or they're just so good at being this role. And like Patricia Arquette as Alabama might be her greatest role ever. Maybe, even though she won the Oscar for Boyhood. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's excellent. She's wonderful. Um, I so, love her in this movie. Yeah, so that's my fist pump. It's when she goes. It's so romantic. You know the line, and you, you, the movie hasn't even started yet. Yeah, you know like you don't really even know what's going to happen. Yeah. So my favorite my favorite moment in this movie, my fist pump moment, is when um, it's when Christopher Walken comes into Dennis Hopper's trailer and he's uh, interrogating him and he's talking to him. It's right before the whole Sicilian monologue gets delivered, and he. He gives him the whole line about, you know, there are 21, there are 20, 20 tells that a man has uh, to, you know, see, to, to know if he's lying. And he's yeah. like, you know, whatever. Women have 27 men. Men have 20 or something. that, like that 18. things it is better than you know, you know your own face. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you kind of see Hopper pause for a second. And he's already had his hand slashed open. And he's, he's sitting been punched there. punched in the face. He's, you know, there's all these guys around with guns. And, and I think there's this moment and Hopper pauses for a second after he says that. And he asks him for a cigarette. Um... And he asks him real calmly and the way he asks, you can tell what's happening is he's like, you know what? I'm never going to say a word about my son and I'm going to die here yep. and I want to calmly enjoy this cigarette because it's probably the last one I'm ever going to get. This this is probably the last good, nice moment I'm going to get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he asks him for it and he gets that cigarette and then he delivers the monologue and it's like, it's just such a great moment. It's such a great moment of writing. It's so well directed. It's like, it's just beautiful because it, you just don't. He's not saying at all what he's thinking, but he's saying everything with what he's doing. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why uh, Walken even says that exactly what you just said. He says, I don't remember exactly what the line is, but he talks about like things you say and things you're doing in that monologue. Because it's basically just being like, I know what you're doing, man. Yeah. You know, and that scene is the most Quentin Tarantino scene I think ever. It's. I mean, like it's the, the most. It's the most quoted and uh, memorable and discussed scene in this movie. In this movie, but like you think about all the things that are said in it, the comedy in it, the racism behind it, yeah. Walken being in it, you know, because it's like you know, go to Pulp Fiction. Walken's in one scene as well, yeah. You know, and it's so. Uh, Yeah. Did you even say your moment yet? No, I did. Yeah, you yeah. did. When it's he just when you c- asked for the. I just, yeah. I just had a moment where I paused and I just thought it was such a great moment. This this movie, honestly, um, in a way that doesn't happen that often when I'm watching movies. I just found my jaw kind of dropped the whole mm-hmm. time. Like, I felt like I was watching something really magical. Yeah. Um, and it's, I loved this movie, and I, I liked it a lot when I first watched it, and I liked it even more this time through, and... Yeah, it just it just felt special that moment. I remember I I looked over at Roxy and I said, you know, I think that's my I'll bet you that's my fist bump moment. Yeah. I said honestly, I, I'll bet you that moment of him asking for the cigarettes is gonna be the one to talk about, and it was. It totally was. Nothing else in the movie like kind of affected me quite as much. Yeah, that's that's such a great scene. Hopper is fantastic in that. They have a great relationship in this movie. Hopper and and, and his son. I, I like when he shows up, and he's kind of like. You haven't seen you in three years. You show up. You're married. Slow down. Yeah. You know? I got my life here. Yeah, know, that's, he says. that's great because I, I like that line because it's like a reminder that he's just this dad who's like... Living in a trailer park, he's just a man. He's living his own life. His kid's not really his concern anymore, mm-hmm. and his life's getting kind of interrupted. I always like uh, father characters like that because it feels much more realistic. It's like yeah, instead of just dropping everything to just be daddy again. But then he does a little bit. He protects he does his a bit. I mean, he yeah, gives his he, life because that's what you have to do. I think as a yeah. father, and I think that's a really, really well written. Uh, it's perfect. It's yeah. perfectly, well, uh, perfectly written. So, guys, moving on to star profiles, we got Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, who were both. Doing pretty well. This was kind of Christian Slater's peak, though, honestly, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, he's had a long he's had a long career now. Um, his way up was like, should have sort of, he was a big star. Because with Broken Arrow, it was like 96. Yeah, right? so it's like really the early to mid-90s is when he's peaking and, and just kind of crushing. He's in everything. So Cuffs is in 92, which I love that movie. Oh, I've, never I've seen told that. you about that movie many times. Cuffs. It's an awesome, like, it feels like it's in the 80s because it's 92. <laughs> uh, he's a cop. It's good though. It's actually like a really funny, huh. like fun action comedy. Uh, next, you got Ferngully: the, La- the Last Rainforest. Assuming the... I've also, you've also seen that film? Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You haven't yeah. seen? Of course, I've seen Ferngully. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know what the best piece of trivia about Ferngully is? Tim Curry plays the voice of the villain. No, it's the fact that Ferngully came out the same year as Aladdin, and mm-hmm. Robin Williams did a voice in both movies. He did two oh, animated man. voices the same year. One of which is regarded as like one, one of, of the, the great all time voices. The fact, like, I can't, when I, when I read that and realized Limelimes. it, he does the, like, the little bat, right? Is that, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was like, I couldn't believe that he had done two voices in one year. His, his role in Fergal is just so overshadowed by the genie. I just love him so much. Yeah. I miss him. Uh, and then I'm Patricia Arquette, I really don't know her career that well. She's had a very interesting one. She's never really kind of been just in the limelight. She's always kind of, like, dipped in and out. Yeah, she has it movies like. here and there she's done. She's not somebody I'm super familiar with. I would say this is probably her most famous movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean cuz even though Boyhood is is recent. Yeah, it's it's too recent and it's it's too indie, I think. Yeah, I mean Boyhood did well and people saw it and she was really great in Boyhood. Um she's just not someone who's had It's not like when you were looking at Oldman's career and you're like, "What are his 10 best?" and you're like, "Oh, these 10 are all amazing." Uh wow, I have can do 5 only. Right. Um, I mean, before we move on actually, let's let's just talk well, No, no, actually let's let's move on. Okay, let's get into production development because um there's a bit here about um Oldman and his roles. I included included some of the stuff that I mentioned. Um one of the things that I think is really interesting is that he met with Tony Scott, Oldman, and Scott offered him the role and Oldman was like I didn't read the script and he was like um it's you're this is what he says. He's like you're playing a white guy who thinks he's black and you're a killer pimp. Oldman laughed immediately and accepted the role. Yeah. Um it, I like I, like, love the fact that Oldman was, just like, sure. And what's really interesting about him is that Oldman is a lot like Tom Hardy is right now. <laughs> Oldman is a, Oldman's a lot like Drexel Spivy. <laughs> uh, Tom Hardy right now is very much what Gary Oldman was in 1993. Okay. Um, the only major difference is that that Hardy hadn't had, Oldman had had, like, several roles that were, like, iconic big, everybody-saw-the-movie type of roles. Like, right. Dracula's the biggest difference, I'd say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if Tom Hardy, once he plays... If he had played, like, a political leader in, like, an Oscar-nominated movie at this point that was, like, well, well-loved... well Or, like, even if the characters from Lawless were, like, famous. Something. Uh, so, yeah. Something where people had seen the movie, they'd be very similar, because they were both kind of these very good at being crazy, kind of brooding guys, uh, right, like, in their 30s, kind of in their prime. Everybody kind of just loved him. But if you think about, like, Oldman, that same year... He plays Beethoven. The previous year he's Dracula. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the professional is the next year. He was already in Sid you know, Sid and Nancy. That's in the late the late 80s. Romeo is bleeding, I think, is like right around the same time. People he, like that movie. Romeo's bleeding is great. He he was in a ton of stuff. He was everybody knew he was a great actor, and he just wasn't quite like a movie star yet. But he was the kind of guy that would show up in a role like this. And that a director like Tony Scott would kill to have him in his movie. Right. He'd be like, I want you. You're the guy. It's like if you were a director and you had the opportunity to offer Tom Hardy like a 10-minute role in your movie like, as a I crazy, weird character yeah. actor, you'd be like, anything you want. You haven't even seen the script yet, but just... Doesn't wh- matter. However you want to play it, you do it. If, if you'll be in my movie as this character, my it would make my life. Which, I mean... The teeth, the eyes, the hair, All the skin, the tattoos, the accent, the delivery, like everything about it is, it, it could, it, I don't think that it could have been any better in either of their minds. No, no, it's, it's fantastic. All three of them, yeah. Uh, so moving on to the people that made the film. Uh, so Tarantino, so this is, this is uncomfortable. Um, we announced yeah. this movie. We announced this movie uh, about a week and a half ago and it was two days before the Tarantino Uma Thurman story had broke broken, uh, which then was followed by the Tarantino-Roman Polanski story, which was even worse. Which is even worse. Uh, And and we didn't realize that this movie was produced by Harvey Weinstein. So, happy Valentine's Day. The show's been canceled. (laughs) We've been fired. Yeah. Um, We don't want to really belabor these two points. Uh, Enough has been said about Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, we don't really want to put... We don't really want to speak their praises either, so we're just going to do what we do, and we're going to talk about the facts. Yes, absolutely. Um, t- talk. I mean, Weinstein, we can just ignore, because yeah, M- Miramax him. made a lot of very, very successful movies, and uh, that's all we really need to know. He's disgusting. Um, Quentin Tarantino wrote this movie, and he was originally going to direct it, and he decided to option that to sell the script. He sold the script for the bare minimum of the WGA rules, the Writers Guild Association, for $50,000, and it was soon thereafter announced that Tony Scott would be directing it yeah so that's pretty interesting we can talk a little bit about Tony Scott if you guys watch the show or listen to the show you know how much we love Tony Scott um, Tony Scott is case. in your is in your top 10 or maybe even top 10 yeah I'll top say 10. ten I think top directors. ten directors of all time I, I love Tony Scott he directed five movies with Denzel Washington all of which I love yeah um, as well as Top Gun this movie he's he's actually a great director he's like a very unsung director for how great he was um, and he was able to execute uh, dramatic, beautiful moments inside action movies in a way that very few directors have ever been able to do. He just he had this big budget sensibility, but just he was never going to stop from putting these like really these really emotional, kind of heavy handed moments into his movies. He would always swing for the fences with those moments, and yeah. they, a lot of the time they work. Yeah, and and the thing. I'd say most of the time they work and like uh those moments are our favorite thing about taking Pellmont 3 and Man on Fire and Unstoppable and and Déjà Vu and and what it is is he really figured out how to do that. I wonder what would have happened if he were to just direct like a hardcore drama, just straight up. He was never you know, really interested, right? He, do, he always wanted to do action. He just wanted to have these big, yeah, these big set pieces and that's but the imagine kind of jobs he kept getting. Was put in the right place to have a film filled with those emotional moments. It might just you be know, too heavy-handed might be too much yeah yeah i don't know but uh he yeah so he directed this film it was written by tarantino so at the time and this is i think one of the thing that's the most interesting about this movie we mentioned a little bit sort of the era of filmmaking that this was in so reservoir dogs comes out in 92 it's mm-hmm. so the previous year and it was a total festival hit at sundance everybody loved it great writing all the stuff that the Tarantinoisms that we came to know and love were all in that movie this script was sold was made with a much bigger budget by a director that had had recent successes. I mean, in the previous few years, he had directed Top Gun yep. and The Last Boy Scout, Beverly Hills Cop 2. He was making movies that were making money, so the studio was going to give him a budget. So he was able to get all these big actors who were on their way up. A lot of these guys were huge already, and a lot of them were sort of character guys that had big careers. But what ended up happening from this movie forward is like, this feels as much like a Tarantino or more like a Tarantino-directed movie than any movie. Because Pulp Fiction's the next year. Mm-hmm. Roger Avery, who co-wrote uh, this film, ended up directing a film called Killing Zoe a few years later. Oh, yeah, 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 You have all these rip-off movies like Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, Get Shorty. And then he ends up doing Jackie Brown a few years later. The 90s was just filled with these like cooler-than-cool hitman crime movies. Everybody wanted to write a hitman crime movie. Um, so much so that Boondock Saints ended up actually getting made. And, and and people loved it for some reason for so long. And it's like kind of just the ultimate like fanboy watches Pulp Fiction is like, I want to make my own Pulp Fiction. Yeah. That movie was like so highly regarded in high school and it's just a joke now. It's a bad movie. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's kind of fascinating is that like this movie kicks off that genre in a lot of ways but mm-hmm. it's not a Quentin Tarantino directed film. I think that's maybe the most interesting part. Yeah and uh, one thing that I thought was super interesting because I even said to you during it and it's very reflective of your thesis is that Quentin Tarantino said he never visited the set of the movie. Even once, I know. And that's shocking to me, because what I said to you before reading that was, I bet you Tarantino directed it with him on set. It seemed like it. It seemed like it. But All- he sure as hell didn't. Yeah, it's it's also sort of weird that, like, we you know, we talk a lot about how Michael Bay and Tony Scott, there's, like, a comparison, mm-hmm. but that Tony Scott just seems to understand drama so much more. Yeah, it's funny that the movies and respect people. Oh, <laughs> it's funny that all of the movies from that time were bringing in Quentin Tarantino to punch up their script. So like Tarantino writes yeah, some of The Rock I mean, and he writes some of Crimson Tide, yeah, exactly. Um, and he gets he gets brought in to like punch up the script. He just, which is so crazy that he was selling this script for fifty grand when he was like clearly already been like. This guy knows how to write. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Uh, One thing that is interesting, we will talk about Harvey, is that Harvey Weinstein thought that Christian Slater was too good looking to play Clarence, and he thought uh, that Steve Buscemi should be playing him instead, so much so that he decided to go to Warner Brothers producers and tell them that Steve Buscemi is going to be playing the role. They responded quickly and told him to get the hell out and fired him. Yep. And then uh, it led to the beginning of the end of both of them, and he was like, all right, so cool, Tarantino, you and I are going to become partners after this movie. And the rest is history. And we're never going to work with Warren Bros again. again. Yep. Um, so, just a classic example of that dude. Uh, yeah. So this is early Tarantino. I think. I think that that genre and everything that happened in the '90s is pretty fascinating stuff. It's just like it. It was a moment in time, and uh, every movie nerd knew about this movie and movies like this movie in a way that, like I said, you'd, like I have friends that are of, of that age you know, and in their mid forties now. A lot of those friends of ours we see, you know, competing on Shimoda and stuff, and it's, like, they're from an era where, like, this movie was the coolest thing when they were in their yeah. 20s. It's just, like, a funny how times change. Um, all right. Anyway, so uh, moving on to Critical and Box Office. Yeah, this movie was not successful at all uh, monetarily. So it was produced by Warner Brothers. It cost $12.5 million to make. It was released September 10th of 93, And all it grossed was $12.2 million. So it actually lost money, uh, and it didn't uh, open worldwide. It was only domestic, and like I said, it was $12.2 million. It's open in weekend. It opened at number three at $4 million, uh, which was $300,000 behind Undercover Blues at number two. And The Fugitive just dominating, doubling its profits at $8 million. Which is interesting because you go back and you look, and it's like the Fugitive and True Romance are pretty much held in the same category of of classic crime films. Totally. Um, And you can see here when we go into critical reception, IMDb gives it a 7.9, but Rotten Tomatoes, all critics give it a 92, top critics give it an 82, and the audience gives it a 93, which is massive. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think I think I read, like, Empire Magazine a few years ago Put mark this as, like, the 140th best film ever made or something. Yeah, yeah, and, and I actually want to segue that into a segment. My original thesis was going to be that the greatest part of this film are all the supporting characters. Yeah, because so many of these guys were on their way up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't do that. But I do think that we should rank some of the supporting characters. There are so many... A-listers in here. Yeah, there's like there's like 10 guys in this movie beyond just the initial cast that are all fantastic. So I think we, we can kick a couple guys off the list just because they're they're in tiny scenes or they they weren't quite as big. So Chris Penn, uh, Michael Rappaport, Sam Jackson, they had careers, but they're not like... I mean, friggin' Brad Pitt's in this movie is a stone on a couch. Yeah, you know Brad he's Pitt. so good at it. So uh, let's, let's go in reverse order with our rankings. Uh, who do you got at number seven? Uh, so on number seven, I have uh, Tom Sizemore. Okay, you put size more. I think he's great. I he's just he just does it. He just does what he's supposed to. He's funny enough, and yeah, and he does. <laughs> he does. Uh, I'm gonna go Brad Pitt number seven. Okay. Uh, he's, yeah, he's a great stoner. Um, it's did you read the thing that um, the character of James Franco's character in Pineapple Express is just him? Is based on this character? No, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, they look like, the same, and he gets up and like runs from the bad guys. Like, yeah, that's like the whole idea. That's fucking great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Number six, I have Kilmer as Elvis. Okay, I have him a little higher. I go Sizemore at six. Okay, I was bummed that Kilmer wasn't in the movie more. I wanted him to be a main character. Uh, number five, I have Brad Pitt because he crushes that role. He's great. He's so good at it. Yeah, I go Kilmer five. Um, one of the many actors to play Elvis. Yeah. Um, though he's not actually credited as Elvis. He's yeah, credited he's cre- as like a mentor or something. Yeah, a mentor. If they want to deal with the estate. Uh, the, fourth, the fourth one I'm going to go with is going to be Dennis Hopper. And I have Christopher Walken. Okay, Walken's fantastic. Yep. Walken's fantastic. Um I have Walken 3 and my I my number 3 is Hopper, so we sw- we flopped those two. I think like they're those two they kind of live in the same space for me because of the one scene. Yeah, and they but they're just, and they're kind of just being themselves. Yeah. But they're just powerhouse actors. Great actors. Yeah, at that point. I think it's actually your fist pump is what changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. Hopper never won an Oscar. Uh Walken did. Walken had two Oscar noms. Uh, this is actually an interesting piece of trivia. Cooper so, has a, has a few Oscar noms. Yeah, too, I think it? he yeah. does. I think he does. Uh, obviously, Walken. Most people remember that he he won the Oscar for Deer Hunter because it's like his most famous mm. his most famous scene. His other Oscar noms in one of my favorite movies. Later. Nom or win? Nom. He only has the one other nomination. Uh, catch me if you can. Yeah, yeah, he's the dad, of course. And he has a great he has a great scene in that. Yeah, movie. His, he has his, several. Yeah, his, his rapport with Leo and that is, is brilliant. And they're at the bar, and he's like, where's she going home? Where are you going home tonight? And he's telling the story about his wife. That's yeah. a heartbreaking scene. Yeah, it really is. The movie is so underrated. That movie is so It really good. is one of the most underrated films ever. Yeah. Especially in, in Spielberg, Leo, and Hank's catalog. Yeah, I think about O2, and I'm like, Chicago? Catch me if you can. Give me Catch Me If You Can, any day of the week. Yeah, Catch Me If You Can is amazing. Catch me if you can didn't even get nominated for Best Picture. And Chicago it definitely won. should have been. It should, it should have been nominated for sure. I think like the movies in 02, they got nominated. It's like a pretty interesting year. I'm pretty sure it's like Adaptation, The Pianist, Chicago, like the, the, Pia- Hours. the Pianist or Adaptation should have won. The pianist is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, so my number two. Is Gandolfini? Yeah, me too. Yeah, and so number one's Oldman. Yeah, of course. yeah, of course it is. Yeah, we don't need to say more no, about him. No. Gandolfini though was totally on his way up in '93. He was he was a guy that like because so he, he shows up a couple years later in Crimson Tide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a little more svelte than he ends up in the later '90s, and then his obviously his whole career just flips on a dime, and he becomes Tony Soprano in '98. He is so creepy, sleazy, yeah. scummy, trash person, garbage people in this movie. And he is so good at it. I didn't realize that. That's he's in Taking of Pelham, which mm-hmm. is Tony Scott. Yep, he's, he's in, in Crimson Tide. Tony Scott. He's and in, he's in a, this movie. Yeah. It's just Tony Scott. I didn't. I'd actually never thought about I'm that. Sure, Tony loved Gandolfini. Yeah, how could you not? Yeah. Uh, so those are our rankings those are the seven that we ranked uh, again please throw those in the comments or put them up on the Facebook fan page yeah next up we've got uh, favorite line yes. uh, dude, let's share our favorite lines here if you guys have any you want to share make sure to post them in the Facebook group or you can leave them in the chat here Andrew hopefully is in the chat with you in the future yeah um, hopefully uh, so I ha- I have a handful alright um, but my so I had to, to do the Where the fuck is dick you can go- you want me to suck his dick? <laughs> <laughs> like I laughed out loud. He's like, "No, who's dick? Oh, well, well, he's my buddy from acting class. Uh, that is really good." But my favorite, for sure, is when uh, they are talking, or when when Gandolfini beating the life out of Patricia Arquette, yeah. and he sits there and he's talking about the first time he kills someone, yeah. The first time he takes out that black dot, the sniper, and then the second, yeah, the third time, and he goes, "Now, nah, shit." Because I just do it to watch their fucking expressions change. It's such a good line. Yeah. And he, in the way he says it, that that look on his yeah. face, and then he starts laughing about. it. He's like, "You really had him in the fucking bed. I didn't think about looking under the bed. You would, you did, didn't yeah. you? You're just like, I hate you, but you, I love you." Yeah, yeah. So that's mine. The other one that I had is that is of minor importance, which is of major fucking importance. That I believe you. Yeah, is when Walken's talking about yeah. who believes who. There's so many good lines in the Walken scene. There's yeah. so many good lines, and it's also just great that Walken's only in it for the one scene. I think probably my favorite lines either when Hopper says to him. You know, uh Clarence, I haven't seen you in three years. Slow down. Slow down. I yeah. love that moment. I also really love when uh when Drexel's talking to Clarence and he's like throwing the light back and forth at him. He's throwing the light. He's yeah. like, sit down, have an egg roll. Have an egg roll. <laughs> yeah. It was a white boy night? Crazy white boy night. Um he's just amazing. That guy's <laughs> This is what a great character. Yeah. I, I mean, the fact that you said that his two favorites... Of all the roles he's played, his two favorites are... Which I need to go watch him be Lee Harvey Oswald again if you liked it that much. I don't hardly I don't remember, remember, Jay, remember okay it. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, and Drexel, like, that's crazy. I know, I could have interviewed him this year. I, I can't remember what ended up happening the night of that premiere, Darkest Hour. I couldn't cover it, but... It's a bummer. Yeah, it bummed me out because he's one of my all-timers. But I'm almost happy that I went back and watched this again. So that what, I think if I do talk to Oldman the next time... It'll be it'll be Drexel and James Gordon. will be the characters I ask about because like yeah. I'd love to ask him about Drexel. I'm sure he's got asked him about it a hundred times, but I would love to talk to him about Drexel. Yes, I mean I'm sure he loved like you said. If it's his one of his favorites, I bet he would love to talk about. He it. He said in an interview once that he would have loved to have done a Drexel spinoff movie, its own character. <laughs> I'd watch it. Yeah, I mean, at this point, be a good 65 guy. 65-year-old Gary Oldman reprising a the dead Drex- character. The Drexel prequel. He's <laughs> that a- old, man. Um, <sighs> all right, so uh, moving on, guys, to the last bit of the show. There are three action movie categories. This is an interesting one. Yeah. There's three action movie categories. Totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, ridiculously legitimate. Um... Those categories are here to, like, totally ridiculous, like Face Off, Con Air, Damn Demolition Man, Man. Yeah. really silly, kind of just laugh, laugh, laugh. They're great, but they're funny and kind of dumb. Yeah. Um, the the ridiculous... Or the Tiptoes. Totally uh, legit category, that's going to be movies like... The Fugitive, yeah. yeah, yeah, Lone Survivor, maybe something like Terminator Two. We we put in that category. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, totally held together, and then the ridiculously legitimate, which is the middle category, is like a little bit ridiculous, kind of laughable, held together by one really strong component. Whether yeah, whether it's, it's, like it's a great performance or you know some part of the story, something re- really engaging. The Rock, Point Break, Speed movies Predator. like that, Predator. Uh, for me, I think I got to jump in and say that it's ridiculously legitimate. Yeah, even though it feels totally legit. There's something about Tarantino movies yeah. that you don't want them to be totally legitimate. Right. Because totally legit, what would happen is that this guy would get his ass killed by Christopher Walken within like a week of yeah. them finding him. Floyd would have gotten killed on the couch. Everyone would die. Yeah, right. You know, people would be tortured and and like things like that. I like that it's a little far-fetched. I like that it's kind of like a love story. It's, uh, you know, I like that it's a little tale ish I think I go totally legit. Yeah, that's and, fair. And I think it, it's tough. It's close on this one because I it shot in the eye. You know. Yeah, I like want to call it totally, you know, ridiculously legit because, but I think the scenes that you laugh, you're supposed to laugh. And I also think that this movie is so stylized in a way that like it it just feels like a more classic piece of cinema in a way. Yeah, it feels like it's doing something interesting and unique and different. And like it's it's early on in the process, so it was like by the time you watch, even just Kill Bill, he's made enough movies and he's done it for long enough that it's sort of like hard to decide how much of this is like tongue in cheek and how much of the stylized stuff. If I I can have a stronger opinion. This movie is like trying to be stylized, but it's also still a pretty traditional movie. Just yeah. with a weird story. Um, I don't know. I I think I would put this in the totally legit category. It feels like more of a classic than I remembered it. Yeah, I'm interested interested if it would have felt more legitimate had they died at the end like Tarantino originally had it it written. Um, But we don't know. We will never know. We will never know. So uh, that's going to wrap us up. We only have one last thing left to talk about. That's going to be called (gasps) The Pitch. So... We're not actually sure. We think... We think it's going to be Black Panther. I think we're going to be here talking Black Panther next, next week. week. There's some craziness that's going on. I have to be in New York next week, and I'm trying to sort something out, and I just realized literally before we hit record, there's a chance we're going to have to air a pre-tape next week. So, Black Panther probably? We'll definitely talk Black Panther. It's yeah. just a question of when. And if it's not Black Panther, it will be... Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Which is is great for everyone. So So this is the plan, hopefully, is that we can do Black Panther next week. Yep. And then the following week we can do Annihilation. Yep. The following week we can do Red Sparrow. Probably. Probably, if it's good. And then the following week we would ideally do Quigley Down Under. Because welcome to the Action Army. Jason Haywood, Mr. General. You are now a general in the Army, and that's uh, one of the perks, is that uh, if you become a general in the Army, at some point you get to suggest a film for the show, and we do it on the show. And the other thing is, is if you are a general and you continue to be a general, or if you're any of the other levels and you, you want to continue doing that, there's other prizes. For instance, one of the general options is uh, that Ben and I will pick out a DVD and yeah. send you a handwritten letter, and the reason why we picked it out, and like uh, why we enjoy you as a fan, things like that. Things like that, or like a mini, a miniature ten-minute AMA on a non-action movie of your mm-hmm. choice that we'll do on the private feed, only available to Patreon subscribers. Or maybe got- help us how to decide to enter the Schmodown ring. Yeah, something. Once Andrew's allowed to come back. Once I'm unbanned. Ah! So, uh, yeah, that's going to be it, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow me anywhere, you can find me on Twitter at ben Bateman Media. You guys can find me at AndrewGuy. And go check out uh, patreon.com slash teamaction as well as the Facebook fan pages. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching the show, guys. Have a good one. Bye. From producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com.